Previously on Silhouettes JB Podcast. I'm going to run this as a music director. One, two, three, four. There's so much foreshadowing. My Eyes Adored You is playing at Mangio's with Mary. You're one of the first people that has ever picked that up, but they are falling in love to the music they will eventually break up. <sighs> We've been in F for the longest time. That sequence is in E flat. For after that, we goose it up to F. And actors are instinctive. Actors make a new tonic home for themselves. And you're going, okay, why is he speaking French? This isn't the seasons. Are we in the wrong theater? Yes. I think an outline on a pile of records in the middle of 2004 to a two-hour and 40-minute show that people could attend. why it's it's a big reason why we keep going back hmm. because uh, it's it's obviously we, we we love to catch new things but it also just makes us feel good being there because we know that's the kind of show we love to see yeah but but we're learning the characterization like that's that's also for like for us while you go it's like why why is this so human through music you know music is how people communicate that's how bob and and um and frankie communicated you know, mm-hmm. Frankie and Nick, that was it. It was the music. Everything dropped away and all there was was the music. So it's like, oh, I just can't, I can't get over what you did. You made it. You made it what music, it is. And I thank you. The music, you. Just the thank music you. is a character. The music is a character yes. very much. Um, which brings me to the vamping. Yeah. Vamping. Um, Yay. Everyone knows if you, if, if you've ever done a show then you know vamping is it can be stressful very for the musicians and for the actors on stage but when you when you listen to what's being played in certain vamps you can be like oh this is smart so um in your pimpernel interview um when you, when you did the interview um for that that website uh, mm-hmm. You said, often a show is written with a certain number of what we call vamps or safeties. You play along, and when you get to a bar or a two-bar phrase that you can repeat, and we've been holding a bar until we're done with that speech. How did you approach vamping from a storytelling okay. point of view? Like, what made it work? Okay. Yeah. Vamps aren't there to tell the story. Vamps okay. are there to hope that they don't interrupt the story, but they're a necessary evil mm-hmm. because oh. you're at a point in the show where sometimes the audience applauds or the laugh lasts, lasts too long or the actor can't be trusted to say the long speech in exactly 17 bars every night. Vamps and safeties are there to account for human variety and to allow you just a little valve where you can let the air out of the progress and then jump in when you can. It's not really stressful, I don't think, for the actors or the musicians or even the conductor who's got to tag you out of the vamp. You get to a place, and Jersey Boys is written cleanly enough and the performances are cons- consistent enough that most likely the show's almost the same every single night. But when something goes weird, when the audience like insists on applauding 
after Sherry and Bob has already started his talk mm-hmm. at the beginning of, of Big Girls, we may have to just tread water. It's all, all it's just musical tre- treading water mm-hmm. until you've caught your breath and you're ready to, to swim forward. Right. Um, there's one vamp in Jersey Boys that's an exception. It's there for a reason. And that's when the priest is talking to Frankie on the backwards facing bench. We wanted Frankie just, we wanted a stop time. We wanted Frankie just to be caught in this horrid little four beat over and over and over obsessional. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Could I have kept her alive? Is there something I should have said? Is there something I should have done? So the music becomes this sort of Steve Reich or Philip Glass fragment. It just goes over and over and over and over again. And I took the band out. It's just the conductor. And I arranged it so that the strong note is on beat three, not beat one, so that there's just no peace. It just goes and goes and goes. And finally, when the priest sort of touches him on the shoulder and walks off, we bring back the oboe and go into the song Fallen Angel. Yeah. So that vamp is there for a different reason than all the rest of them. That vamp is there to twiddle time, to stop stop time and let you experience what Frankie's experiencing. I don't think I've ever seen a show with more vamps than Jersey Boys. <laughs> I wonder. Like I can't. Like I try. I sat down. Because I, I do you I have the score? A lot of musicals. What do you have the score? I do. The the printed score. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't feel like there are that many. I don't think there are an unusual amount. Maybe there are. Um. It just felt. Like and and it wasn't even like a bad thing. It's just something like I realized like, wow, there's just like a lot of vamps, but there's so much, there's so much going on with the book that it almost it 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 serves. I mean, it it does exactly what you said it did. It it gives it gives actors that that safety that you know, but at, at the same time we know that the show is a well-oiled machine at this point that. The actors know, okay, this is how many vamps okay, I now, have. David, we prefer Swiss watch, but okay. <laughs> well, well, old machine is good. Um, yeah, I mean, there are places where Des would look at me and say, you can't crowd the actor. You have to let him take as much time as he takes, and if that means vamping, vamp. And then he'll turn around the next day and say of this other place, uh, he can't wait for applause. He's got to ride through. He's got to do it the same way every night. I don't want to vamp there. I don't want a safety there. So part of it is me just trying to be a service officer for the cast, give them what they need in order to be comfortable. And part of it is meeting the requests of my director saying, don't put a vamp here. Um, okay. It's, it's more to do with the smooth running of a show and people are people and you'll be slower one night and audiences are audiences and the laugh will go longer one night. Just allowing that little breath Hopefully without um, somebody who's seen it both nights going, oh, the show is very different there. They stayed on that E-flat chord for three bars instead of one. One thing that always blows me away is in the Brill building, um, right after, right after um, the whole cry for me and the cry for me underscores, um, when Frankie and Bob are knocking on the doors, only one door at New World Stages. <laughs> right. But... Um, Whenever they get to that door where the guy comes out and he's like, oh, you know, so Frankie and Bob uh, were the four lovers. Oh, you're the four lovers? Well, two of them. And um, no, that's a color group. 
Um, and then Frankie goes, no, that's us. Uh, he goes, I love you so. Indeed. Every single Frankie I've seen sings that in F. Of course. Um, so is, and I, I know that the, um, the, the incidental music right before then is in F, even though, you know, they were just singing Cry For Me. In oh, e we've, been in, we've been in F for the longest time. That sequence where uh, Bob goes, gee, I don't think that's going to work, is in E-flat. When the right. trumpet takes over after that, we goose it up to F. Then we're in F for all the underscoring from way back there. We've just been sitting in F. Oh. And actors are, are instinctive. Actors just make a new tonic home for themselves. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they would take on the audio world they've been living in in the last almost two minutes. And just sing their, sing their a cappella line in that key. We do that a lot. We get you to the next key. So you didn't consciously say, like, t- 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 you, don't, you don't consciously say to the actor I never looked, playing Frankie. I never looked at a Frankie and said, you've got to sing this in F. It just happens that way 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, and if they don't, if it, so, but is there, like, I've never been at a performance where they don't sing it in F, but no, is it? No F? points no. off. No, if no somebody, points some, off. <laughs> there, was, there was a Frankie who tended to sing it low. E flat. There was a Tommy in Las Vegas, Devin May, who sang the a cappella moment in the jail down about a fourth from where we usually we usually wanted it. But he had made a, his bit out of that, and he was comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're not trying to be awful people, right? right. <laughs> Vincent in the movie, he sings. I, I think he sings it a whole sixth down. That moment always fascinated me because of what exactly what you said. They'd been living in that audio world they'd been living in the key of f for the longest time so yeah. it's only natural for them well, let me give you another one there. the heartbeat thing is bob starts um speaking after sherry and he's talking about um they were stuck for an idea and they were looking for a thing yeah it's that heartbeat thing i've gone from sherry which is in c i've gone to a flat for that underscoring mm-hmm. so that and she said bop all those people could be on an A-flat chord. There's always wow. been, since 2004, some people in the audience going, how do they do that? <laughs> how do they sing perfectly in tune with no introduction except a drum fill? Mm-hmm. Because we've I'm, trained them into A-flat, and actors are good enough to retain I'm that. I'm telling you, that's the contingencies that we're talking about that were built in. Um, is there a reason why Big Girls is in A-flat and not <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure waiting for that question. Oh no, no, it's it's just a fun story. Um, I believe Jersey Boys was one of the first Broadway shows to try to record its cast album so early in the rehearsal process that we could sell it opening night. So we had done La Jolla. We weren't making a whole lot of changes, but there were some things that weren't set in stone yet. There's a triple tag ending on Boyfriend on the album because we thought we were going to do it in the show. We ended up not doing that. Um, we intended, always intended, uh, Big Girls to be in G. John Lloyd came to me late in previews and said, I'd really be more comfortable if it was in A-flat. Can't we move it up? So we did move it up and we kept it up. Um, so there's an odd double world there where we always hear the song in the show in A-flat but if we're doing a press event and if we're using tracks from the album, I've got to accommodate getting, getting it to G. And sometimes I'll say to singers when they're going to go out and sing, you know, Broadway and Bryant Park, 
hey, remember, this isn't going to be in the same place in your throat that it is at night because, you know, we're in G for the event. We're in A-flat for the song. <laughs> right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, one of the biggest differences that we noticed between the original tracks and your arrangements in the show was trance. The original song is a minor blues in E-flat minor, mm-hmm. and in the show you have made it a major blues in E-flat major. I use so, trance twice. The trance is in the backups medley. And it's it's the also the cars. source, yeah, the cars, Tommy's Basement, and the Act 2 cars with the angels in them. So the first job was in the medley, the Billy Dixon thing. Um, I originally had a song called Ain't That a Shame in there, which was a season's record, but it was a Fats Domino song. So as part of that Dodger purge of can't we use more Gaudio copyrights and less other copyrights we have to clear, I just went, what's in the Gaudio collection that would be an easy job in? At that point, we were far enough along in rehearsals that I wanted to do trance, but not upend anything that we had done in rehearsals, Sergio's choreography, Dez's moment. So it's just same tempo, same flair, uh, uh, major sound. Um, so that was why trance transformed, excuse the pun, um, to take Ain't That a Shame's place. Then for the use under the cars, I was just looking for traveling music, just a rockabilly thing, and it, it was perfect. I actually heard Joe Payne, our original Broadway guitarist, fiddling around in La Jolla on a 10-minute break, playing that Elvis-like lick, and he was oh, doing okay. it to trance. And I just went, yeah, okay, that just made the show. Amazing. <laughs> Um, can we talk about Titus Burgess for a second? Oh, can't we always? Oh, <laughs> please. We all know he can sing in whatever key he wants to. I know. You know, he even goes so far to sing Metal Lark in, from The Baker's Wife, a whole step down from Patti Lapone's key on the cast recording when he did that whole thing with Seth Rodetsky on Obsessed. And he's just, he, so he sings it in E major. Oh, she sings it. Patty Lapone sings it in E major, and Titus sings it in D major. And he says it just sits comfortably for him, just like you said. John Lloyd was like, "Hey, can we move it up a half step?" Yeah. So, um, um, your arrangement of "An Angel Cried" in the show is in F. Yeah. But Titus sang it in G flat on the original Broadway cast recording. Was he singing it in G flat for his duration? Of Titus the sang it show? in G flat for the Broadway run until he left. By the time he left, we'd already sent out the national tour. I the Chicago company, I think. Um, we, we had about two or three companies out. That was just too darn high to ask other people doing Titus's track to do. So I did a different key change. And we did trance in F in all the other companies worldwide. When Titus left the Broadway, I reverse engineered it so it was the same as the others. Right. So that was in G-flat for the album. It was in G-flat for as long as Titus was in the show, but only the Broadway company. Then right. it was F and all the other companies were F. All the companies were in F. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's two definitive... Is this exciting to people at home? Yes! Does everybody I, get I, excited totally... by G-flats and Fs as we yes! are? Or are we just... Okay. There are two definitive keys for I Still Care, right? Or am I wrong? Because I've heard it being sung in um, a D-flat minor, and I've heard it being sung in E-flat minor. That may have been a tour change, too. 
that isn't something I've thought about in a lot of years. But now that you mention it, I, I do remember doing something with that, and I don't remember why, and I don't remember when. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, 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 know, I know on Broadway I was hearing it in E-flat minor, but I know at New World they're singing it in D-flat minor. Okay. We didn't make any huge changes for New World other than cutting down um, okay. to the size of the room. So that means whatever key you're hearing in New World has been true all over the world for years. Okay. Okay. Um, this is this is all blowing our minds, and you're you're uh, basically everyone who's come on the show has just been dropping the mic <laughs> and been blowing our minds, and we're we're grateful. We're grateful to really be able to get behind the scenes and really talk about the conscious genius of everything and um thank you so much and so we're just going to take a little break thank you very much we'll be right back And we're back. We've got Ron Melrose in the Zoom studio tonight, the maestro behind it all. Um, He wrote the arrangements. He wrote the dance arrangements. He was the original music director and conductor. I just had a quick question. What was the reason that you made the conductor the Keys 3 player? I was raised in a very staunch feminist household. I had a keyboard player who was female, and I wanted to make her keyboard one. I, I, I'm always sort of non, oh, well, the, the conductor's going to play the most important piano parts. I didn't have any, any emotional need to be keyboard one. So I made her one, I made hoops two, and I gave myself key, key three. So the music says conductor slash K3. Was it ever stick conducted at, one, no. at any time? No. no. It was always Never. conducted from the keyboard. Never. You know, th- those are women in that chair, and they had to be female because um, they were on stage appearances. That's a female chair. Oh. Um, all, all the women that I've ever done that thing could put keyboard one on their resumes. That's right. certainly a good, good enough reason to do it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Nice. Oh. So when, when the show closed and then reopened only like nine months later, how did you feel? Like, was... was like, was it hard to say goodbye, but were you ready for it to say goodbye? And then... Oh, I don't think you're ever ready. I think you want a yeah. show to run for as long as it possibly can. Right. I did not expect, even when it opened well, I did not expect to be, you know, well into the, what was it, 11th, 12th, 13th year before it left the August Wilson. Um, you also are dealing with the realities of your royalty check and you're watching the curve over the long time and you're seeing that you're now looking at weeks that haven't been all that profitable. And that's when you start thinking like a producer and saying, you know, if I were the theater owner, I might want to put something in this space that I think would do better than the 13th year of Jersey Boys because as the theater owner, I'm going to have a share in whatever the weekly box office is. Once you've had two, I think it's usually two, I don't know all the legalities, two weeks below the drop, 
the theater owner has the right to foreclose on you. Often they don't for months or even years. But two bad weeks in a row, you're now vulnerable to the theater owner saying, yeah, you're going to be out on February 3rd. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to Beetlejuice, right. unfortunately. Yeah, they wanted something else in that, or the theater owner wanted something else in that space. Mm-hmm. I, I was at the final show, as we've talked about before, which I which was a crazy day. Um, actually, three years ago this week, um, like this is yeah, we're recording this in mid August. Um, was that like that it was coming back in in November? So were you were you elated that it came back, or were you also worried about the changes that you had? Well, you didn't really make too many changes, but like just. No, you don't. You don't see a lot of changes from the audience, but you see tons of changes from my, chairs like mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the band was different, and a different number of players. The cast was slightly reduced. Um, the use of the swings and covers was different, so we had to have some flexibility there. Um, going to a smaller room with a different kind of sound system meant that some of the effects that Steve had used uh, weren't going to be possible. We couldn't give you that booming arena sound for Dawn. It just there wasn't there wasn't the speakers in the room to do it. So we we actually took a lot of subtle changes that if you didn't really feel like it was a different show that means we really did our jobs well. Cuz we did overhaul a whole bunch of things right to make to make it smaller and still work Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well you you nailed it because we we keep going back to new world and we're we're so happy about it um but so this is like really really backtracking here um but we really do want to get to know you more and other works that you've done um so when you were working um at a church correct on the upper west side Yep. You composed musicals there. Could you tell us about that and how you got into it and what those 10 years were like for you? Sure. I, you know, I, I wanted to leave Broadway for a while. I found a home at All Angels Church. And it was like Bach's job. It was, you know, the weekly services. And I got to write a lot of music for the services as, long as, as well as use tons of existing music and other composers' music. But every once in a while I got to write on my own. Plus, the church was active in the arts, and it had, like, an evening art series. So I came up with the idea of doing a one-woman, originally I called it a one-woman song cycle for Mary Magdalene around the events of Holy Week, through her perspective and her voice. Um, I had been running into some trouble with a few people at the church, not the uh, minister's, but some of the laity that was sitting on the vestry, where they seemed to be trying to convert us, it sort of parallels politics sometimes, trying to convert us into a church that would acknowledge more of a a God of uh, condemnation and judgment and keeping us in line, and less of a God of mercy and and salvation. I wasn't buying into that. I I don't have any use for a God who's a traffic cop. Um, So I wrote the Mary Magdalene story for that evening performance series, just as sort of my salvo in that war. No, God is merciful. God is forgiving. Uh, Look at this story and you'll see that. Uh, Oddly, you know, I I just said I'm an ardent feminist household 
and an amateur biblical historian, I knew about all the new scholarship about Mary Magdalene, that the whole idea of her being associated with the woman in need of forgiveness and the woman who dried his tears with her hair. And that's bogus, keep women down over the years, over the centuries kind of scholarship. I still made the decision to use that as my Magdalene rather than maybe a more historically fair one. Because, again, storytelling, like we said about truth and fact. Truth versus fact. Storytelling. Mm-hmm. If, right. if you are, have a lead character who exhibits things in need of forgiving, it's going to be easier to have forgiveness be the spine of your play. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for doing that. And I'm Catholic, but and but my so I went to Catholic school, kindergarten, eighth grade. My mom, same thing. My mom was the generation that had the nuns. They would slap you on the wrist with a ruler, you know, if you for whatever reason, if you were left-handed, they would bash your head through the wall. I never had that. Like they, she had like the punishing God mentality instilled into her. But I always had the forgiving God, you know. So. I, I very much appreciate you writing a musical, like, not of course about Mary Magdalene, like from like, like just because you grew up with with like in a feminist household, but also just like just speaking truth to to how if if, if people are out there if if you are religious or spiritual, like that's that's the way we feel like it should be told, you know. At least for me, it's like everybody remembers it how they need to with Tommy, right? And for us, like with with the Bible, like with with anything you want it to be as uplifting as possible and never like bringing you down so thank you for bringing the truth to to that kind of story it's so important well thank you of course i would love i would love to can i can i watch it anywhere is it saved anywhere you know it exists as a an album oh you can still buy the album it's called early one morning yes and the artist is katie nutt n-u-t-t um, she was a cast member of Pimpernel, and she recorded the the piece. I'm um, looking it up right now. So that exists. The missing. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Early one morning. Early one morning. The second piece is called "Songs I Won't Be Singing." It has not been recorded and released, mm-hmm. but that was a instead of a Bible character, this was a contemporary Christian woman faced with a death sentence from her doctor. Uh, and figuring out what of her faith is still not useful to her, what can she readopt, what can't she get behind. Mm-hmm. But how how do you, in a crisis situation, if you've walked away from the ch- church, how how does the church help you? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's the second piece. The third piece is called The Missing Piece, but piece is spelled P-E-A-C-E. To me, that's the most fun. It's a 24-song cycle for one woman playing about eight roles. And it's a sort of Joseph Campbell-style hero's, like a grail journey with a female hero. And all the classical things, you know, the land is barren, she's gifted for a journey, she crosses the water, she deals with a dragon, she comes back and heals the land. Um, All those elements are in there. But I was playing at the time, you know, we're, we're in such a weird world right now where authors are not really supposed to write music that isn't their world. You know, so I'm, I'm writing three pieces in a female voice. Um, back when I wrote them, you could be lauded for that. Right now, I could be highly criticized for that. Who the hell are you to put forward how a woman thinks? 
No, absolutely facts. not. Ron Melrose yeah. can write the female perspective, people. Come on. <laughs> Give well, a chance. Thanks for your support. But everyone won't feel that way. And I can, be, I can be sensitive to that, too. So I look at all this stuff as stuff that was written in a time and a place and was right then and for some people would still be right now. Yeah. I, lo- I, lo- I love Missing Peace. It's, it's a record also. Like she, she had to walk away. There were certain parts that was that weren't working for her. I have that question all the time. It's like, can you pick and choose what you like about your religion or about anything? Is it, is it all or nothing? Or can you find certain things and just highlight those? So I'm very interested. I I think with every with any religion, because I'm I'm Jewish. Um, I didn't always grow up Orthodox, but when I was around eight years old. Um, my family, we all became Orthodox mm-hmm. together through through this Chabad synagogue here in Miami, and um, we kind of, we, so um, uh, Chabad is a sect of Hasidism, and w- when we became observant, we weren't strictly going by these Hasidic laws, we were kind of picking and choosing also from the modern Orthodoxy, so, um, but uh, I, I, I always think about uh, all of these stories um, that, are, I mean, especially are, are depicted now. Like, I mean, uh, that Netflix TV show, Unorthodox, that four-part TV show about this woman who leaves the the Hasidic world in Williamsburg, New York City. She leaves. It's 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 very it's very often that it's it's hard to to have those resources. So, but obviously, everyone's situation is different. But it's it's always such a huge debate, and I think it's not—it's something that's not discussed enough. So I think the fact that you you wrote a piece like that in in a, that deals with a contemporary person living a contemporary lifestyle—it's so much more deep and so much more meaningful. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> and that and that's an interesting journey you described. So we have one, uh, but we have a grand finale for you. Grand finale. Okay. Here we go. So David and I, um, we tried to surprise Ron with a breakdown of a certain part of the show. Um, you know, key for key compared to the original songs, um, how we felt like, you know, certain underscoring was significant in terms of plot. Um, and we, so we met Ron on Tuesday, sound check, got to know each other. And then we asked him if he would wait until after a phone call to look at what we came up with for him and basically so what we're going to do is go through our discoveries and he's going to tell us if we're full of shit or not good (laughs) and we're gonna we're gonna go through what we feel is some of the most significant parts of the show is the 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 medley in act two of stay let's hang on opus 17 don't you worry about me okay um all right look let me let me blow the ending at the very beginning. You are mostly not full of shit. You mostly did a really great job. Um, I we again that validation. But no, you need more in your life than so mostly good. not full of shit. That's not that's not a high enough compliment. Oh well, thank you. And well, and I, I also I have to say so. David absolutely is the music theory guy and and brain of this show i am very much more character and story and historical context so when it comes to music 
hundred percent David. He knows what he's talking about as far as the notes and the keys and the chords. And I'm just like, oh my God, does that mean that like like why would he say this if this happened in Act One? Like that that's basically great. What well let me make you two an offer. I actually took your questions that you allowed me to look at after our Tuesday call and I wrote down some quick answers. So if you you can do this any way you want, but if you want to do it lightning round where you just read off the question and I'll hit you with the answer, we could do it that way, or we don't have to. David? David, sorry, lightning round. Oh, oh so what's 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 the second, second option, option? Is you guys steer and ask me what you want, and I'll try to answer in the moment. Oh, I like okay. the first option. Look down and read read me the first question. I've I got like an answer for it. <laughs> we just finished the half a mil scene, and um, Tommy is moving to Vegas yes. for his health. You're moving to Vegas for your health, um, and. Um, Frankie's like, okay, we're going to do it. And uh, the loan, the taxes, we'll take it all. And I love right on that downbeat of the music, on that, that um, it's an, it's an, um, it's a f- um, open fifth without the, f- without the third there, right? Right. Ooh. Um, on that open fifth, Frankie turns away from Tommy right on that downbeat at the start of the music. And um, it's, it's, it's in the original key of B flat. Um, and it, it ha- the, 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 the B flat, the, the, the chord progression of B flat going into, into G minor has that, okay, we've kind of loosened our weight a little bit, but at the same time, we have dug a million dollar hole for ourselves. So, and right off the bat, the group is singing stay when one of their own is leaving, just like we discussed earlier you know dramatically it must have been so hard for frankie to sing that song especially since this was at the top of the medley but does frankie um want tommy to say or does frankie want tommy to leave like how does he really feel it's his saint francis royalty um and um you know in gia's experience with her italian family italian men tend to make one decision while experiencing an alternate decision or an alternate feeling it's very challenging to make a choice for themselves it's easier if people who knows okay let me let me jump in with what you've asked me so far um first of all yeah the fact that frankie just moves right on the downbeat of the music that's not an accident you've got you're looking at dez's only complete stage freeze in the whole show so the loan, the taxes, we take it all. Nobody moves. The conductor is counting three, four, one, two, three, four. And Tommy unfreezes and lurches at Frankie for the handshake right as we hit that first chord. So that's intentional. You're not seeing any movement on stage. And then the first chord is where Tommy moves. The open fifths are just my way of saying... There's going to be something missing from these chords. That's so specific about three people, four people, just hollow chords for a ho- something's going to be missing. Are we going to be all right? Um, and as far as the meaning for stay, I think less rigidly what you said, but there's aspects of it. Um, Remember, in Act 2, Des 1, it's something a little more evolved than just pacing when a thematic connection between the songs and the stage action. Um, Frankie's expressing a loss that is equal to that of somebody losing a lover. Um, And when we get to the coda and Frankie's singing about Nick, it's even more poignant. Frankie wishes Tommy could stay, but he wants Nick to stay. He understands why Tommy has to go. It's the decision that Chip made with the moneylender. Nick is deciding on his own, I'm out. So Frankie has different feelings about that. 
Is that fair to you? Is that yes, yes. And so Frankie really punches that that beginning moment, and we know. So we notice that the the staging can be a little bit confusing. The microphones come on the track; they're singing out to the audience, and you know, which I I love this um this uh uh, uh staging technique that uh, that Des uses in the show often is um, the mics will come on, they'll grab the mic and they'll sing straight and you'll be like, okay, time is moving forward. They just keep going. So, but is there, but then they, after, yeah. after that um, first first, they go right back to the meeting set right after that. So is there a time lapse between okay. the first verse of Stay and the first bit of dialogue with Jip saying, you've dug a million dollar hole for yourself? Okay, this is the first one that I think you've maybe missed. Okay. So let me do... The passage of time as according to Des McEnough in this okay. show. Direct address. Each one of the seasons in turn gets the right to talk to the audience. It starts out being Tommy, and none of the rest of them can talk to us until Tommy goes, you know, Tommy DeVito delivers and Bob starts talking. Then only Bob can talk to the audience. Tommy can't. Nick has the beginning of Act Two. Frankie is the end of the show. According to Des, everything that happens in direct address is happening Tonight, those guys to tonight's audience, even dead Nick, even dead Nick is addressing us tonight going, here's how it was. Listen to it from my point of view. What he tells you can't quite be believed. That's the whole Rashomon idea. You've got to listen to me. I'll tell you how it really was. Everything else in the flat, everything else in the show, if they're not talking directly out to the house, is a flashback. In the world of flashbacks, they're not restricted to do flashbacks directly in chronological order. So what you have in this case, the time would have been continuous from Tommy going, uh, Frankie with the loan, the taxes, we take it all, Tommy's intended handshake, Frankie turning away, and Tommy getting marched off to Vegas by um, Norm's goons. But intermingled with this are two performances of Stay, one where Tommy had left the group and Nick, Bob, and Frankie were all it was up there with three microphones. And then when Nick had also let the group left the group, and you've just got two microphones coming out of the ground, one for Tommy, one for Bob. We don't get one mic until can't take. Oh. So there is no continuous action between anything in direct address and everything else. And there's no continuous action between the scene where Jip is sitting at the table and the two performances of Stay. You're in four different time zones. Tonight, a performance of Stay with two guys, a performance of Stay with three guys, and the event in Jip's basement. And we're rocketing back and forth. Wow. Wow. Big wow. I, 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 I just don't wow. think I would have been able... Oh, my gosh. Maybe 20 times from now that I had seen it, maybe I could pick up on it. Well, because you identify um, a problem. You know, if this is then, he's there. Why would he do this? Why would he say that? Because it wasn't the same night. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I, this, it, it's so, it goes so deep. It goes so deep and it's so. Yeah, we did a so, good job. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you did a good job, kid. You know? did a good job. <laughs> So next section, you guys with all your talent. So, okay, so Nick has decided to leave. Um, and I, I noticed almost every single time there's a group decision going on, Nick is always standing away from them. <laughs> Nick is always standing away. And he always has that, oh, I'm into or I'm following them. But this is the time where he's like, okay, 
I'm gone. I just came out of my mouth. That's what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. So before he goes into his monologue, he goes, you guys, with all your talent, right on that, um, I think it was. I think it's right before that. Um, it's just that one. The the uh, uh, w which keys player is it playing the string there? The low um, the low drone key two. Yeah. And the so you guys with all your talent, you won't even know I'm gone. So it's l that low. Mm, yeah, it's an ominous. F. Yeah, it, it's ominous, it's giving it's us the dominant seventh of stay. It's the yeah. it's the five note that's going to become the one note. But yeah, it's there to be a low grumble. And Nick Massey, he, he, he just always sits low to the ground. His walk is always, um, at least, you know, the way Matt Bogart brilliantly did it, because he's the one that I saw mm -hmm. on Broadway. He, everything was just grounded. And those, um, that, the, that, low dr that low droning F right there, it just says everything about his departure. Can I do a you're right and you're not right at the yeah. same time? Yes. Okay. So that low drone, definitely for giving us our key for the next song, definitely for tension, definitely for painting Nick, who is in that register. The whole time that Nick is doing direct address, we feature the bass player. We feature the bass lines. So that's Nick's octave down there. But here's two other things you're not thinking of. One is, I almost always bookended. If there's a moment like that low drone, there's a matching moment somewhere else. It's actually a high drone when they're looking at the bowling sign. Frankie. It's the same note. Also. It's the same note. Yeah. It's the same note up in a violin register instead of a double bass register. But that's the act one version. This is the act two version. And I'll add one more thing. The reason it had to be there at all was that in the original Broadway set, in the middle of this really tense and quiet scene between Bob and Nick and Frankie, the floor elevator trips in order to go up and down, and there was this clunk. We did not want the audience to be distracted by the clunk, so we put a drone under the whole thing, and that's when I went back to Act 1 and put the drone earlier so that it would, it would match something. The originally, this is a sign Tommy, did not have a, did not have a drone there. That came in when the stay drone came in. Honestly, for me, it makes it so much more special because you know how much thought and how much work was put into this. And even just something as quick as, okay, let's, the, 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 the lift is going to be tripped. Let's add that thing there. But then you were like, okay, I know what to do with this. Let's bookend it and let's put it <laughs> back in act one also. That's, 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 that's why we're doing this so that we can get into the minds of everyone ah amazing um so then yes um, so you said there were two things or that was oh, i think we got it it's nick's register it's the right. drone of tension it's a drone that relates to an act one moment it's the yeah. pitch for the beginning of stay and it's covering the trap noise so that's right. fi five reasons <laughs> um and then then there are two meter changes um, and then the band goes into silhouettes under Nick's monologue. This right. is the first time we hear silhouettes without Tommy. What's the significance? All right, let me tackle the meter changes first. Okay. Okay. This is right after, please, 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 please tell me that you're gonna. The drummer, like, works for a bar, and then we find ourselves in a different, different place. I worked really hard the whole evening to make transitions that made sense between keys, tempo relationships, common tone relationships, and these two pieces of music seem to have darn nothing to do with each other. 
the, the right tempo for Please, 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 the Stay Too, and the beginning of the Uncle Nick music seemed to be unrelated until I realized you could do this weird proportion and divide three short beats to the beat instead of two short beats to the beat, and I'd come up with a tempo. Well, that worked and these for the songs other thing. were pre-chosen for this medley. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to use the word medley because for us it was just four of the songs in Act 2. Okay. We medleyed it on the album because we right. wanted to do something like the early years, which we'd mm. done in Act 1, and blaze through those four mini songs. A lot of the songs in Act 2 you're not hearing all of. We only sing 13 bars of Marianne. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's right. underscoring. The, the reason for Silhouettes wasn't particularly about Tommy. It was Nick's nostalgia for the way things were. And we meet Nick at the very beginning of the show, walking through the Cesuare people um, to the tune Silhouettes. The first time we've seen him, he's there behind Tommy. Life was simple. It was the three guys. They didn't hadn't met Bob yet. They weren't singing with Frankie yet. And it's just Nick's loneliness and Nick's going, God, it used to be easier. And we, we also hear those... those um those little kid sounds again on the... Oh, yeah. Okay. That's the children. That's his kids, his own kids that he lies to. That's like playground music for sick children. And it's very de- very deliberately the sort of playground. It's glockenspiel lead, and it's inverted sixths. And if we had done it now instead of 2004, I'd have asked the synth designer to detune. You know, it just wants to be na- slightly nauseating like a playground where something has gone wrong. If I was doing a film about the Third Reich and I was underscoring a scene that showed children, I'd want to do the same thing, like merry-go-round music or little music box music, but slightly wrong, slightly That's off. a Michael Giacchino move there, contrasting music with the mood. Like if something's sad, you play a happy song and that's what makes you sad. Like, that, like an up, that was the first time I heard mm-hmm. about that. Wow. Can you explain your key change into Let's Hang On? Because we're in E-flat, if I, if I remember correctly. Chord, there ain't no use. Exactly. Yeah, we found out what key we wanted to start the song in vocally in La Jolla. And then I backtracked getting there using that particular transposition and that was what determined where that Uncle Nick music started way back after the tempo change. Um, so I, I, I seem to remember a piece of music paper where I just wrote the whole thing minor third up. What I had originally thought of for the Uncle Nick was lower. But oh. then I, I, I wanted that transition where it lifts to the there ain't no use in, in, our, in our goodbye end chord. Right. And given the key we wanted to sing that in, I had to go back and fix. Right. And like we said before, uh, uh, let's hang on for, for Frankie. I mean, he was, he was much more hurt about Nick than, than Tommy because uh, the, the circumstances of Tommy's leaving was, you know, they didn't have really other choice. Um, the group takes the debt. But Nick, he made that conscious decision to leave and that really uh, – so yeah. that's two people who left for t- and the reaction is two completely different things. And he keeps harping on it. Frankie keeps harping on it. Even in his last monologue in the show, he just never understood it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, his first monologue in winter, he talks about – and Nick, he could have been this guy. He could have been that guy. Don Costa. Don't know. Yeah. And then he refers to Nick in his last monologue. 
And then when Nick is doing his last monologue, he said, you know, I used to go to Atlantic City and Frankie would go, why'd you do it? Why'd you walk away? We're painting a Frankie who's always been obsessed with Nick leaving and just worrying it like a loose tooth because he can't understand it. The original season's recording of Let's Hang On, that verse is a little operatic for my tastes. Mm. So we wanted, that's one of the changes we made on purpose. We asked our Frankies, please, even though you're starting a performance and you're singing out to the audience, um, subtext it to like sending a message to Nick. Oh, guy, there's, there's got to be a way. Come on, don't go. We'll figure something out. That becomes the subtext for there ain't no use in our goodbye on. I really do think this moment like is that. And if you're ever going through a breakup or just, or any kind of betrayal, anything in that nature, I always go back to this sequence um, and, and listen to the songs in this specific order. I just think it's so interesting because the whole musical is, is love song, breakup song, love song, breakup song. And the whole show is about, you know, it's like, do you want to hear the real story? Like you'll get four different versions, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what this is. And it just jumps all the time. And I think that's what, pe- that's how people's brains work. And to go back to the Christmas idea, um, you know, so you, of course, like you have chestnuts and you have like, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Um, uh, an old friend, uh, he would say like, it's important. It's like through the years, we all would be together. Like if the fates allow and, and fate, I think relates so much to Jersey boys and to four seasons music. I think everything kind of always has a Christmas element to it. Um, so that's just me wishful thinking, but, um, I don't know. I just think like, like the way you all put it together. No, I think it's, it's good. I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think we were conscious of much of that, but I, I hear truth in what you're saying. So, you know, some of it surprises us. There were things I look back on seeing the show in my eighth year of it going, I never really thought of that before. Yeah. I never really saw that before. So there's, there's stuff in here that Des put in or the authors put in or I put in without knowing I was putting it in um, that we're still discovering. So I don't, I don't think we spend a lot of time going, we need to make a comment about fate here. But when you say it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So moving forward, after moving forward. Frankie uh, comes in with the beginning of winter, which we had already discussed before, the bum, 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 the fall off on the horns. Yep. Um, it's one of my favorite moments in the show. And the uh, it, winter comes on right there on that fall off. And it's beautiful. It's so it punches it. I love it. And then Frankie uh, starts speaking. He starts saying, um, yeah, you listen to Tommy. He'll tell you we were real pals, partners from the get go. Exactly. What really happened. He was paying me 12 bucks a night. Sorry. No, Red herring on the uh, summers in Jersey. <laughs> that's later. Um, so then, um, right after that, uh, the key changes when Frankie says, "Well, what the hell? That's Tommy." And then yep. the flute comes in with the melody. The flute yep. is such a longing sound. You're so far from home, but again, you don't forget where you come from. And I love um, the. And I think a bar or two bars later, the uh, the key, one of the keys player is playing a. Uh, duet they're playing six away from each other and it just breaks my heart whenever i hear it oh yeah that's the flute and the right the top notes for the keyboard too on a fender Rhodes sound like electric piano sound remember that flute shows up in um bob's internal speech in walk like a man under the the president for less Yes, it does. <laughs> that's a flute moment, too. Yeah, that's the flute moment. There's a few flute moments. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then, so the vamp on some people are born great, some people 
have greatness thrust upon them. Some people achieve greatness and fuck it up, which is one of my favorite lines in the entire show. Is there – so that's just like a regular vamp? Regular vamp. Okay, regular vamp. But okay. the conductor can cue out on a beat three or a beat one. Ooh. It's up to the drummer to go, and then we go. I can so see. So it could be, mm, or it could be, mm, I can t- – Built we can go, go out of go out of either bar. We love it. We love it. Um, and then, don't you worry about me. Um, the flute comes back. Um, so they sing that first verse in the recording studio. Um, yep. And then Charlie Colello and Joe Long come in. Um, the flute comes back. The, Charlie Colello, Joe Long, both Jersey boys. You never forget where you come from. People that watch this, listen to this podcast, can you encourage him to get a master's degree and make this his thesis? Because <laughs> he I, absolutely I, should. I think this is this is an amazing piece of analysis. Thank you so much. That means the absolute world. Um, it's it it really. I I, I was having was so much fun doing this with Gia when we were just analyzing it. I was on the street. I was walking on the street. On, on, we were on the phone. We were going through this entire sequence, and people were definitely giving me weird stares because I was, I was on the phone with her. I was, I had my headphones in. I was like screaming this. I was like, oh my god! I was falling to the floor. This is so genius. I love this, um, and it was, it was great. So I, it's, you know what? I might just go back. I, I might just go back to school one day and do my master's thesis on this with your Can blessing, you please, of course. I'm sure he'll um, need a recommendation letter. <laughs> I, <laughs> only if, you, only if oh. you send me the thesis when you've written it. Oh, of course I will. Um, and then, okay, so um, we end up in the diner scene. Yep. Candy Girl, one yep. of the ones that got away, that are listed in the script, Mm-hmm. We theorized that it was symbolic of the band being so big that it was just casual for them to be in a diner with their songs on the jukebox. Um, is it listed in the score as a, as an official underscore? Like, oh, it's yes, the yeah. band playing it. Right, it's but not. A, it's, it's not a numbered song, though. No, it's it's buried within uh, buried within a tune. Right. Don't you worry about me. Turns into coffee shop. Um, Remember, we're in winter, so that's the reason for the glockenspiel melody. It yep. wants to sound like Christmas music without being a Christmas copyright. Again, I didn't want you thinking about the holidays or Jesus or presents. We've got to stay in the coffee shop. But that's that whole idea of being big enough to hear your own music, um, That was that's fun. I got a much smaller scale than Gaudio gets when the show was in Vegas at the Paris, I parked my car on the roof. I walked into the elevator. That was me playing the piano because they had a loop of, of the album. Then I checked into a room because I was a guest. Then I walked through a door and a wall because I was a staff member. It was like, how many me's are in this building right now? The guy in the elevator, the one who has a room, or the one who's walking through the door where the staff is you know, eating at the employee dining room and I'm going through the stage door. Um, I think it must be even weirder for somebody like Bob and Frankie who can't probably go anywhere without hearing one of their songs, you know, on the the ambient music. Somewhere, yeah. And now uh, Ariana Grande just Mm -hmm. covered An Angel Cried on her album. Um, Everyone's like, oh, my God, what's that song? That's such an amazing song. Did she write that song? And I'm like, no, she didn't write that song. And then... Of course, at the end of the, you know, uh, at the end of that scene, um, Bob says to Frankie, this is your time. And immediately we go into 
which this took me a, a, a long time to get this. Um, it took me a few, like, it, I think it was the 10th or 15th time that I saw the show that I was like, wait. Wow. Yeah, the sun ain't going to shine anymore. And why why we love this part of the show so much, and this 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 is a a, a part of the show that we quote often, um, because we 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 love how Frankie quotes. Um, Everybody knows my name, um, and you, we we read the lyrics of the sun ain't gonna shine anymore, and it really drove home that um, you got if you got a me. home and a family, you got. Much more than me. Yeah, I think they're related songs. It was wild to play the melody from one while somebody was reading the lyrics from the other. Seriously. But that's the only time in the show where that happens. We're doing two copyrights at once. <laughs> and Aaron, Aaron De Jesus and Michael Fasano both told us that um, that was one of the hardest parts for them because to to not say that to not say those lyrics in a rhythm. And to just mm-hmm. speak them as lines is just such a significant moment, and it was very hard for them to get that. But once they got it, they were like, okay, this is how I they, need to say it. They both got it, and it's it's one of the hard parts of the job that does have to be that way, and they both did a great job of it. Um, there's one other story on that little moment, which is, remember I said we went from La Jolla to Broadway, and Gaudio had a laundry list of about 12 things he wished we would change? One of them he was really, really set on, was that after the Lorraine bedroom scene, when she went up the spiral staircase, instead of Frankie reprising Bye Bye Baby, that he should sing, the sun won't shine, it's suddenly going to shine. Des was absolutely not willing to let that happen. He was thought there was a risk of getting very sentimental there at a place where we couldn't get sentimental. And Frankie going against type, something you said before, she's leaving, his heart is broken, Mm -hmm. but he's kind of going, yeah, bye-bye. Like as if it's putting on a putting on a front, so it was a little bit of a it's the saddest song I could find for Frankie's moment after the coffee shop, and it was a little bit of a honoring Bob's desire to have it in the show somewhere, and the third piece of it, and just God help me um again, I mentioned Joe Payne, our original guitarist, he had an unbelievable way of making a stand up guitar feel like a pedal steel, and I heard in my head that. And guitar echoes it, the sort of weeping guitar thing. I said, this just has to be in the show. It was one of the places where I asked Steve Orich for a specific orchestration choice. Please let the guitar answer there as a weeping guitar thing. (laughs) We love Steve. We love Steve so much. So, moving forward. (laughs) Moving forward. Um. Um, we get to the end of that scene. Uh, Frankie says, you got much more than me. They end up in, uh, in their house with Mary and they're arguing. Um, and if, if the, the, the lines that they're saying, like sometimes I'm able to hear what they're individually saying and it's heartbreaking. They are, they're like, um, taking their entire marriage, their entire life and putting it into question and say, you did this, you did this, you don't know how to do this. It's heartbreaking. Um, And then Francine calls, they answer the phone, and immediately we hear, I can't give you anything but love. And it's played on a recorder. Every kid plays a recorder in school. Francine is still a kid, or at least that's how Frankie and Mary see her. Um, And that just breaks my heart. It tells you that that's who's on the phone before he even says Francine. 
And what's going to be more haunting than to have that little kid who sang I Can't Give You Anything But Love Daddy from the coffee table be, it's her death that's announced in that phone call. No, no, no. <laughs> you don't need spoiler alerts, right? Everybody's if you seen got this show? far, yeah, everyone's absolutely... seen it at this point. If you got this far, you you can collect two hundred dollars and pass go. Oh well, it's it's the phone call. Do. It's the um, note on the phone call that David like was crazy over. Right. So now we we get this is my absolute. I can, <laughs> I can confidently. I know say where you're going. I know where you're going. This is my absolutely favorite musical moment in the show. And we had referenced this earlier when you talk about also your contingencies of getting people to where they need to be. Yeah, key yeah. wise. Um, so um, <laughs> Frankie takes the phone. Yeah. Well, first of all, we hear that G and the B. In the dial tone. So is that is That's, that um, that is not a classic Bell Telephone dial tone. Right. Is that but is that a sound effect or is that being played live? Uh, we had our sound department widget an actual dial tone so it would be in G major. So it's in it's in G major, and then they're they're okay. So, so the backstage is, men can hit the right chord at the beginning. Right. Of, they're singing that they're singing that E minor chord. It's an E minor. It's 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 a first inversion, right? We're gonna argue now. For me, it's a G six, which is exactly okay. the same notes as right. an E minor. Right. But the um. the G really is the root of that chord. Right. That's that, so. So that's what I was driving home. So that the G is the root of the chord. So um, he sla- So that the G and the B are playing there, and he slams the phone down, and they're singing that beautiful a cappella G six chord, and they're holding it. Mm-hmm. They're holding it, and what? What was your what was your thought process there? Okay, this is a really complicated sequence. Let me take it back and let's just narrate the whole thing. Okay. Francine recorder music goes out instantly when Francine hangs up the phone. One beat pause. Frankie says, Francine, into the phone. One beat pause. Then there's the dial tone, a G and a B. He reacts to the dial tone, hangs up. As the phone cradles, he has to go up, down, so the conductor can catch the moment when the phone is going to land. Unseen male voices sustain that G6 ooh. Now Frankie has to cross to his chair, sit, and lock eyes with Mary, which gives her permission to go, good job, Dad. And it's only after that that the conductor can take us into tempo with the second bar, and we're, we find ourselves at the beginning of, of Bye Bye Baby. So that all that stuff is going on, and it had to be broken down like a magic trick. Yeah. Um, so, so Bye Bye Baby, no, we, we, so we go into Bye Bye Baby, and they're singing. Um, they, they have that, the Francine and Frankie have that moment where they're singing, where they're looking at each other. Um, uh, and Bye Bye Baby is a whole minor third up from the original key, so I guess it sat easier up there for John. From the original, original key? Yeah. The season's key? Uh-huh. Well, yeah, and the end of the song, after Lorraine, when Lorraine is going up the staircase, is not in the same key as the front of it. Right. Well, so huh, we'll get to that. Oh, we're going to get to that. We will get All to right. that. Yes, that is a huge moment for me. Okay, there's a, a motif I use constantly through the show that I use again in Bye Bye Baby. I started it way back in Silhouettes, and that's that you do eight bars of a song in some key. And then you move either a minor third up or a minor third down to do the next eight bars. That's all over the score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So but I, I consider those to be a sort of a weird audio equivalent that the, uh, we were going to train the audience to hear those as just development. 
So by the time we get to Bye Bye Baby, I wasn't just looking at actually what key we were singing in, but I was looking at what are the neighbor keys with minor third moves that that could become. Right. Right, exactly. So, okay, so after Good Job Dad, everyone comes in on their ooze, and he's moving yep. on. Life just right. goes on no matter what. He's on the hook for a million dollars. So, um, um, then we end up in the motel room with... Oh, oh. You, can't go, you can't go there yet. Oh. What? You, you've, you've, missed, you've missed an important one, I Please. think. Oh. There has been two hours of the most rigid tempo relationships, even down to that strange meter change to get you. And all of a sudden, Frankie's life is falling apart. And we're shoving him through plate glass windows with tempo lurches that aren't true anywhere else in the score since we went from Cesuario Lot to enter the show in Silhouettes. When Joe and, and Charlie sing, You're the one girl in town, I'd marry. That's an unrelated tempo. Eight bars later, when we get to Francine's uh, bedroom, it's an unrelated tempo. And it's just supposed to be Frankie going, I can't stand my ex-wife. I am face-to-face with my daughter going, not under this roof, you don't. Get out of here. Now, who are these fucking guys? I miss Bob. I miss Nick. I miss Tommy. Who are these guys? Oh, my girlfriend. Oh, now she's going to leave me? Great. We're just making his life hell. Wow. So by the time you get into that bedroom scene, he is ready to blow. And now I know where you're going. We're going to use that sonic device to be him blowing up. Right. Right, exactly. Dawn has been keyed to Lorraine from the minute we introduced it. Mm-hmm. She's actually there at the end of Act 1 as herself. She is, she's right. Dawn in that scene, not just Woman 3. Frankie, they yes. give each other a little kiss. That's right. They, they, have, they start their relationship right there. So that's the Dawn scene, and there they are. And then I use Dawn symbolically, not only the truth dawning on him... But this is the women that aren't from the neighborhood. This is the great part of America beyond the Jersey. Um, so Dawn is educated, and she's not from the neighborhood, and she's got a glamour that Mary doesn't have and that Francine doesn't have. So to, to paint that, given that Joe had this amazing country western thing, starting with the first underscore use of Dawn, there was always that country guitar element in Dawn. And it was being put in there just to make this work. Those country chords, exactly. Um, th- th- uh, we 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 hear them. You're right. We hear them first in that scene when they're in the when they're in the bar and they're talking. Yep. And then, but we we do we do they do resolve in that scene. They do go back to the key. But what I love what you did there when he says he couldn't help himself. It ends on the subdominant. We're it's a. still the bow, still a guitar bending, yeah. but it's on a chord that can't possibly be a resolution. They're they're not home. The relationship's not going to work. Mm-hmm. There's no happy ending. Then uh, so she leaves, um, and we 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 hear the um, the bye bye baby theme again. Um, it it's an F. We love F. Um, and then and I I noticed this the first time I saw it at New World Stages. Is that Frankie sings that whole verse of Bye Bye Baby after she leaves in a lower key. And did you do that to signify that he's tired, that he can't, sometimes can't handle that register? 
50%, yeah. I mean, I definitely wanted him to start in that part of his register. Remember the season's original record, and that we used a little hint of on our album, has a section in D, and then it goes up to F, maybe, I don't know what came in. Um, anyway, there's a, there's a minor third lift, which is that device I've, I've been using. Right. So I wanted to start him singing in a key, be able to move up a third. In our show, it's D to F for the cockroach speech where the backgrounds are in, but he's not singing anymore. And then move from F up a minor third to A flat, actually F minor, but it's the same key, for the beginning of Marianne. Right. So it's just a double lift. These are really geeky devices. These are devices you sit in a in college, taking mm-hmm. looking at your Hindemith Harmony book, and then you you get a job on a Broadway show, and yes. you can go, I can actually use that to tell a story. It's amazing. Love it. Amazing. Very geeky, but amazing. So we we and and then we come to the end of the sequence, but it doesn't. What I what I do love of the the, the about the sequence on the cast recording is you have that big ending bye baby baby bye bye with that false ending (laughs) on the drums um and i love that whole section um so i i do i do love that whole section on the cast recording but the way you guys transitioned into marianne one of the most amazing things about this show is that you don't you don't get to hear all of the songs, the, the entirety of each song, but you hear exactly the stuff that's going to tell you the story, that's going to tell you the truth. Sure. Um, and that's, that's why I think it, this show lives above all other jukebox and bio musicals because of your manipulation of everything to tell the truth. That's a lovely thing to hear. Yes. That sounds like the last thing we should say. <laughs> it's a perfect segue. Um, this was really, this was really. Thank you, Ron. Thank us. you, thank you. Um, thank you. I enjoyed it. Um, this was a music deep dive, hopefully one of many that we'll get to have with you, Ron. Um, we'll get to have with Steve um, and with other people that were involved on your team into making the music so much deeper and to play along with everyone else as a character um and that's our show for for this week um please follow us on instagram at at silhouettes jb podcast underscore you can now follow us on facebook also um silhouettes jb podcast Listen to us wherever you can listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, sorry, not Apple Music, Uh, everywhere. Um, Thank you to Anchor for sponsoring us and for making podcasting so easy and for distributing us. Um, Thank you, Gia, my wonderful, amazing best friend, partner in crime. The the Bob hey. Gaudio to my Frankie Valley to Frankie Valley to my Bob Gaudio. <laughs> and thank you to Ron for being the man the ma- the magician behind the podium. That is you. And to you, Ron, we say salute. And to you all listening, we say salute. Thank you very much and Bye. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.